you would take your bulletins in hand one more time and turn to the Heidelberg Catechism questions from Lord's Day 15, as we'll be reflecting on them today. 37, 38, and 39, and I'll read the question and you read the answer. What do you understand by the words he suffered? Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Is there anything more in his being crucified than if he had died some other death? Amen. If you would now turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52. We'll begin at verse 13, continue on through verse 6 of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52, 13, following the reading of Scripture, we'll sing together the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Hear now God's word. Behold, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him as a tender shoot, as a root out of a dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
And God will add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Amen. As we've been working our way through the catechism and reflecting on uh, how we may be delivered from our sin and misery, we've been spending the recent days, the recent questions, days, Lord's days, 11 through 14, on the person of Christ. In the, the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. So that's the summation of his person in terms of the creed. And then it continues on into his work. And what we're looking at, what we're looking at today, the part of it is <clears throat> uh, he suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified. Now he'll, the creed will continue on to other aspects of Jesus' work, but that's what we're looking at today that he suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified. And as we reflect on these things, there's kind of three main headings or points to help us reflect on it. One is, what does it mean when he says, when it says he suffered? Uh, secondly, what, why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate? Why is he specified? in that way, and what benefit comes to you from his specific death on the cross? And so we have, uh, what does it mean, or what do you understand by the words he suffered? What does it mean when it's describing he suffered, that the creed uses that and this catechism is working through explaining that? And one of the things that we see right off is it, it's pointing to the focal point of Jesus' life and ministry, ultimately in his work, is his death. The creed moves immediately from his uh, conception and birth straight to his suffering and death. Uh, skipping, as it were, all this material in between in Jesus' life and ministry, the miracles, the teachings, and all the work that Jesus did in his ministry. Now, it's not as though they're trying to minimize or dismiss those things. They're very important. They're important things for us to know. They're part of the gospel records that help fill out the uh, significance of who Jesus was and what he came to do and the meaning of his life and ministry. It's all very, very important to give us a picture of who Jesus is. <clears throat> but the creed and then this catechism is moving straight from uh, the person in his birth to his sufferings and his death. And part of the purpose for that is for it to be a reminder that the focal point, even all the things that Jesus did, and we wonder and delight in those things, the focal point of his work that he came to do was his sufferings and death. And it's to draw our attention to that. Even as you look at the content of the Gospels, you realize how important it is, that particular aspect is, <clears throat> is to, to their writing. In Matthew 1, when it's giving the, the prophecy, you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. Or in John 1, when John the Baptist gives his pronouncement, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. From the very beginning... The Gospels are pointing us to that. And then if we just sheerly look in terms of numbers and content, 
we see how significant that concluding time of Jesus' life is. Of the 28 chapters in Matthew, nine deal with that final week of Jesus' life. Of the 16 chapters in Mark, six uh, deal with that final week. Luke has relatively the fewest of the 24 chapters in Luke 6 uh, refer to and talk about his sufferings and death. And John, he has the largest number of the 21 chapters in John 9, almost half of what he wrote for us is focused on that last week. And uh, one author put numbers to all this. If Jesus died when he was 33, that meant he lived 1,700 weeks. But the Gospels spend 30% of their time on one week, that final week. And just sheerly on the basis of the numbers, we realize that is a focal point of Christ's work. We can admire him as a teacher. We can love him as a miracle worker. But we need to adore him as the suffering savior. We're drawn to consider that, the wonder of that suffering. But the catechism answer makes clear that he, all the time he lived on earth, he suffered, but especially at the end of his life. So the focus of the end of his life, but we have to see that when Jesus came into this world, it was a life of suffering. And Zacharias or Sinus gives seven ways Jesus has suffered, Jesus suffered, as a way for us to reflect on this. First, he gave up the joys of heaven. This is part of what Philippians 2 is all about. He didn't give up his deity, but the Son of God taking upon the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men, uh, from day one, it was a life of suffering. He gave up the joys of heaven. Number two, he experienced the infirmities of our nature. He got hungry. He was thirsty. He experienced pain, physical pain. Uh, He experienced all the infirmities that you and I experience in this world. Three, he knew deprivation and poverty. Even though he was sometimes welcomed into homes, he would say, Uh, The Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. If we experience poverty or deprivation, let it point us to Christ who experienced that. Number four, he endured insults, treacheries, slanders, blasphemies, rejection, and contempt. All those things were part of what the Bible describes as he experienced the hostility of sinful men. Jesus suffered all of that. He faced, number five, he faced temptations from the devil. See that clearly. Number six, he died a shameful and painful death. Number seven, he experienced the bitter anguish of soul as one accursed of God and forsaken by his heavenly father. And so the suffering of Christ was 
extremely significant and the focal point was his sufferings on the cross. The answer is going to go on to talk about some of the benefits of what he purchased on that. But the significant thing to think about and to remember, we read literature and there are these uh, tragic heroes of stories that they they live their life and have experienced difficulty and they die this kind of empty death and they're a hero but they're a tragic hero well jesus isn't anything like that uh, we might look at a, a tragedy and what happens to him but his death accomplishes a lot He came to suffer and to die to purchase our redemption. And he wasn't just a hapless, tragic hero. He was a victorious hero. That even though he suffered a a shameful and terrible death, uh, he accomplished, he wasn't just another martyr. He was the unique son of God who did what no one else could do. But the question, the answer to the question brings up an issue that um, has us think about a particular doctrinal topic. He sustained in his body and saw the wrath of God against the sins of all mankind. And so that brings us up to a topic that's not strange in a Reformed church. Uh, The question, for whom did Christ die? Uh, to use the doctrinal label, limited atonement, or particular redemption. But the question is, for whom did Christ die? Well, Ursinus helps us to appreciate what he's communicating when he uses that phrase, against the sins of all mankind. He said that phrase respects the sufficiency of satisfaction, which he made, but not as it respects the application thereof. Sometimes in reform circles, we use the terminology that the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient uh, for all the world, but it was efficient for the elect or for those whom God had given the son. And so our Christian friends, they will think and tell us we're, we're demeaning the sacrifice of Christ, minimizing it. And we would be saying, we would say in response, no, we're honoring it. Because what we're trying to do is to affirm that Jesus did exactly what the Father sent him to do. To purchase the redemption for those whom the Father had given him. It's to honor the sacrifice of the Son. So that not a single drop of the blood of the Son of God was spent in vain. And you get a reflection of this in different verses, and I won't have you turn to all these, but you can kind of reflect on them as I read them. In John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. It's not the goats, it's the sheep. In John six thirty seven, he says, this is my father's will that I should lose none of all those whom he has given me. Those not given by the Father are lost, 
But all that the Father has given to the Son will be saved. In Matthew 1.21, he will save his people from their sins. In John 15.13, greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's who Jesus died for. Acts 20, 28, urging on the uh, elders of the church of Ephesus. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, Jesus, bought with his own blood. He bought the church with his blood. Ephesians 5, 25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's not minimizing the sacrifice of Christ. It's maximizing what he did, that he accomplished exactly what the Father gave him to do. He didn't make salvation possible. He saved people fully and completely. Uh, Spurgeon writing on this, he says, we are often told that we limit the atonement of Christ because we say that Christ has not made a satisfaction for all men or all men would be saved. We say Christ so died that he infallibly secured the salvation of a multitude that no man can number who through Christ's death not only may be saved, but are saved, must be saved, and cannot by any possibility run the hazard of being anything but saved. That's what Christ came to do. Not to give you a hope of salvation, but to give you the assurance of salvation, the surety of it. But the answer goes on to talk about some of the other benefits that come to us through his death. Not only has he sustained the wrath of God against sin, but by his passion, he is the only propitiatory sacrifice. Propitiation, propitiatory, an old word that communicates a very important truth. <clears throat> it's, the, it's the idea, it's the, it's the, meaning, the meaning of that word is that Jesus turns away the wrath of God against us. By nature, in our sinful natures, in our sinful selves, the wrath of God resides on us. And without help, we are lost. And Jesus steps in through his passion to be the propitiation for our sins. He satisfies the Father. In fact, in Isaiah 53, a little later from what we read, it pleased the Lord to put him to grief. It's God's will that he suffer. But then the following verse says, and he will see the travail of his soul. The father will see the travail of the son's soul and be satisfied. Jesus satisfies the father And he turns the Father's wrath away from us. He redeems our body and soul from everlasting damnation. 
the threat of judgment hangs over us. And Jesus, in his passion, redeemed, he purchases, purchases us back out of sin and darkness to belong to him, to belong to God, so that we might experience their redemption both now and forevermore. Not just our souls, but our bodies reserved for the day of resurrection. Uh, he also obtains for us the favor of God. When we, were, when we are in sin... Apart from Christ, the disfavor of God rests upon us. And when Christ, in his passion, dies for us, he turns God's face back toward us. That whole concept of the face of God is a very interesting one. Sometime, take your concordance and just travel through there are times when the face of God is against us. But when I pronounce the benediction, which I love to do, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. What a blessing. What a glorious truth. Jesus turns the Father's face to shine on us and to give us peace. What a great blessing. He <clears throat> wins us, obtains for us the favor of God, and he brings us righteousness and eternal life. A full and complete and wonderful redemption. <clears throat> and this is what it means that he suffered. That he purchases our redemption in his suffering. Uh, the second element of these questions is, well, why... Did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as a judge? In other words, why single out Pilate? Why didn't he single out why didn't the, uh, the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees or something else? Because there was something very significant going on in that trial, that civil, that, that, that trial before Pontius Pilate. There were two things that happened that were very significant. One is Pilate declared Jesus' innocence. Remember, he presents Jesus to the crowd and he says, this man has done nothing wrong. And there the judge is sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate, and he's making his judgment and he's saying, this man is innocent. And so for all the world to see, for all the legal process to see, this is an innocent man. He does not deserve to be judged or punished in any way. And yet the other thing that happens is nevertheless, Pilate condemns Jesus to death. Death by the cross, by crucifixion. On the one hand, he says he's innocent. On the other hand, he condemns him. It brings to our attention clear, clearly our Savior was perfect. And he was unjustly condemned and unjustly put to death. Uh, the greatest blasphemy of all time is that Jesus was crucified. The Son of God was put on a cross. And this question and answer and this truth is just a reminder of that. It fulfills prophecy. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's innocent, but God takes our sin and puts it on him so that we might be forgiven. The third thing that's brought brought to our attention is, is there anything more in his being crucified than if he had died some other death? Could Jesus have died any other way? Why was it important that he be crucified? Well, it was absolutely essential and important that he be crucified and not killed in some other way. <clears throat> because in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy twenty-one twenty-three, it says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The Old Testament makes it very clear that a curse uh, rests on one who is hung, who is crucified. And Jesus had to take our curse. If you think of this in covenantal terms, God created you to be in covenant relationship with him. And in that covenant relationship, he is your Lord and and Savior or Master, and and you're in obedience to him. When you and I sin with our mother and father, Adam and Eve, we became covenant breakers. And the curses of the covenant fall on us. And yet the obligations of the covenant still remain on us. So we're covenant breakers. We can't keep the covenant. We've got the curses of the covenant on us. What remedy is there? Well, it's Jesus Christ. He takes on himself the curses of the covenant. So that you might be forgiven. That's his passive obedience. But then not only does he do that, but he actively obeys the covenant. He's a covenant keeper. And in grace, by grace, through faith, you become a covenant keeper in Christ. He takes away your curses and he gives you the obedience. The blessedness of the work of our Savior And Paul draws this to our attention in Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs upon a tree. And so Jesus' work, he had to be crucified. He had to bear the curse. It had to be that way. And by taking upon himself the curses, he removes them from you and so gives to you life and peace and redemption so that you and I could be filled with gratitude and you and I can appreciate the, that Christ in this way is a fulfillment of all the, uh, the Old Testament promises and prophecies. Um, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. In John 3, Jesus says, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men to me. Men from every language, people, nation, and tongue. Jesus had to be lifted up so that he could draw people to himself. It's the fulfillment of all the sacrifices, all the types uh, that were seen there in the Old Testament. 
And it brings you and I back to the attention of our Savior. In this life, in his life, he suffered. All his life he suffered, but especially in that final week, that final, final moment. And he was suffered in his passion so that you might be forgiven. So that you might be purchased and redeemed. So that the wrath of God would be turned away from you. Uh, He suffered, uh, though innocent, with his sufferings on the cross, so that you might be uh, purchased for God by his sufferings. To take the curses away from you and bring to you life and health and peace. May you and I be filled with a sense of wonder at what our Savior would go through for us and be encouraged that when we deal with issues and things in our lives, we have such a wonderful Savior uh, to stand in our stead that has brought us such blessing and grace to our lives. Let us be filled with awe and filled with gratitude for our Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the love that you have poured out into us. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the propitiation for our sins, who suffered on our behalf, who redeemed us and brought grace and fullness of life into our lives. May we be encouraged and Strengthened by that grace day by day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.